0: Well, you may not have known it, but this is actually a a called meeting of the session. You're in attendance. But part of the uh, installation of officers is that uh, uh, the session, the elders lay their hands on these officers and ordain them by prayer under the service of God. So we're going to pause from 2 Corinthians this morning and talk about service in the body of Christ as elders and as deacons. We're going to look at a few passages, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, if you would open to First Timothy chapter 3. In verse 14, we see that Paul calls the church of God the household of God, the family of God. In Ephesians, we see that that the church of God is described as a building with different pieces making up this building. I believe there are probably a number of analogies we could use, a number of metaphors we could use to describe the body of Christ. But one thing we need to always have our hands on is the notion that the body of Christ is put together by God for the good of his people, for the glory of his own name. The purpose, the aim of all of this work, Paul told Timothy, is love. The aim of our charge is love. We're going to charge these men, these deacons, and this elder to love the body of Christ, to love God. We see this comes through in really all of Paul's pastoral writings, the commitment to love the family of God. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 3. Please remain seated. I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'll have you stand at the end. This is God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As you are able, please stand for the last four verses of this text. This is God's word. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are so thankful to have your word. You've given us your word. You've allowed us to be able to read it in our own language. You've appointed men to study your word full time for our blessing and our benefit. And yet we are fallen creatures. I pray that you, despite my failures, would strike a straight blow with this crooked stick. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. By your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, encourage our hearts, and be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you think of the church as the household of God, you realize, as Paul thought of the church, that we truly are a family of God, a family much like your own families probably. We all have the crazy uncle who you want to monitor carefully when you're around him with your children, the wise grandfather, the loving grandmother, maybe the rambunctious, or rebellious child foolish brother. And yet through all of these things, and all of them are probably present in every church, church of God, we're committed to love each other, to show grace to each other, to walk through life together, side by side. If I were to recount to you how many times you all individually and corporately have shown grace to me, It's just an example of what we should be doing always to each other. Showing each other grace. Showing each other love. Pushing each other up to God. Pushing each other to heaven. To fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We are committed to love each other. And as we ordain deacons and elders, they are formally announcing that the work of their lives will be to love the church. Before we go too far, we also need to remember that a deacon or an elder is just a Christian, a Christian called by God. In other words, the qualifications for being a deacon or being an elder, except for maybe the ability to teach, are the same as the qualifications for being a child of God. These are what we all should aspire to. These are what God has called all of us to, these qualifications that we will discuss in the household of God. But regardless of where God has placed us, everything is united by one central theme, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ should control us because we have concluded that He died for us, that we might not live for ourselves, but for Him who died and was raised. We need to serve each other Elders and deacons also need to serve the church as Christ served the church. Regarding the particular text that we're reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as Paul addresses Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus, he says that elders and deacons should have certain qualifications before we are to lay our hands upon them. In other words, before they are, they are ordained. And he gives a number of qualifications. We've actually preached through 1 Timothy before, so I'm not going to go into great detail about all of the things that he mentions. But you should notice that the qualifications for elders and the qualifications for deacons are generally the same. There's no distinctions In the qualifications, except maybe the notable qualification that elders would be teaching and have spiritual oversight, we know from the rest of Scripture, and that deacons will have different duties, certainly caring for the spiritual needs of people, but responsible for the physical, practical needs of the church. Since the Bible times not much has changed, Deacons are mandated to care for people, to care for their needs. Elders are mandated to care for the spiritual needs of the flock. And all are are mandated to love the flock, the bride of Christ, as Christ did. Our attitude should be like Jesus. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, he describes the attitude of a Christian. He describes the attitude of a deacon. He describes the attitude of an elder. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. This is how people in the body of Christ treat each other. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, in other words, verse 1 says, so if you're a Christian, then what? Then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and being born in the likeness of men. You see, what God is saying is that his own son, in a way that we will never understand, God is a triune God. Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And some way, some wonderful, amazing way, the triune God decided not to let mankind perish. And what they did was that the Son of God would leave His heavenly glory in all of His kingly and stately glory that we will not know until heaven, He would leave it all and condescend to become a man. He lost nothing of His divinity and He put on flesh. He gained His humanity. He humbled Himself for us. Not only humbled Himself, but He humbled Himself as a poor man born of poor parents. He humbled Himself living a a normal life up until about age 30, learning a trade as a carpenter. He humbled himself, obeying his sinful parents, although he was perfect. He humbled himself, pursuing 12 men whom whom he had chosen as apostles, who continually discounted him, disregarded him, and fought for privilege in his midst. He pursued them and taught them patiently. He pursued the Jewish people who had rejected him. Indeed, they killed him and he submitted himself. He humbled himself to the point of death. And Paul says this should be our attitude. Yes, it should be the attitude of every Christian. How much more so should it be the attitude of an elder or of a deacon? Jesus sets the example for us on the night before His death when He washes the feet of His apostles. These men who many probably still did not believe in Him. Many pridefully fought over who would be the best in His kingdom. The most honored. Indeed, Judas Iscariot who would betray Him. He humbled Himself and washed defeat of those whom he served this is the attitude of those who would serve the church this is so important for us to understand for the health of the church because what I like to picture when someone steps forward to serve in any way is that you're drawing your spiritual sword and you're running to the front lines It doesn't matter whether you're serving as a deacon or an elder or serving the body of Christ in some other way. You're entering a spiritual battle. And there is no place of service that's more valued or more important than another. No matter where you serve in the body of Christ, this is a valuable part of the body. Elders are not... Of more worth than deacons. Deacons are not of more worth than elders. Nor are nursery workers or bulletin folders of any less worth than anything else that we do in the body of Christ. All of it makes the body work. As Paul describes so eloquently... What would happen if the ear said, I don't want to be part of the body? Or the eye said, I don't want to be part of the body? What would happen? The body would be disrupted. The body would be disturbed. Let's look also at the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4. Where Paul talks about the body of Christ. The book of Ephesians is, is, a, is an amazing letter. It's a, it's a wonderful book. And what Paul does in Ephesians, he does in most of his letters. The first three chapters of Ephesians are Paul just describing the wonder and the glory of salvation. In the most wonderful language that's in the Bible. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul says, You have been chosen by God. He has ordained to love His children. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring to light what has been hidden for ages, that we might know the depth and breadth and length and height of His love. So He proclaims our salvation for three chapters. And then the halfway point in the letter, chapter 4, He tells us how we should live based on that. And chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, and this is an important word. He's saying, you who have been called by Jesus Christ should listen to what I'm about to tell you. Here's why it's important. And this is for all Christians. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head unto Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. So do you see that the point of our salvation, the point of all of it, is that we glorify God and we love each other. And He's put us in a body And in this body, He's given us heads and hands and eyes and feet and noses and arms and ankles. And if you're serving the body of Christ, if you're serving Meadow Creek in any way, whether formally or visibly as an elder or a deacon or someone who's in the front playing instruments, thank you. Or informally, in one of the other millions of ways that You are serving behind the scenes gloriously for the glory of God. In the nursery or in the back rooms, working the sound or folding bulletins or mowing grass or fixing things or making meals or caring for children or teaching children, preparing for the service, cleaning up after the Lord's Supper, those dirty little cups that have everyone's saliva on them. Someone has to clean that up. Restocking the paper cups, preparing for Wednesday evening, opening your home for Bible studies or visiting those who are in need in these ways and so many more that I haven't even mentioned. The body of Christ works together for the glory of God. And if you're serving, then thank you. Thank you for doing what God has called you to do because it's valuable and that's the precious thing, is that in God's economy, there's, there's no work that's done that's a throwaway thing. God remembers everything. And He knows the heart with which you do it. If you're not serving the body in some way, if you just come and sit and soak up the worship, and you're not helping the body of Christ in some way, I would exhort you in the name of Jesus to find some way to enrich the body of Christ. My brother-in-law had, has just had a stroke and the left side of his body is dead weight. It's slowly, we hope, improving, but he can't move his arm. He can't move his left leg. The left side of his face doesn't work correctly. His left arm is doing nothing to help his body. It just hangs. It's just drawing strength from his heart. It's drawing resources from the nutrition that he puts into his body, and yet it's doing nothing to help the body. People who come to church and choose not to serve in some way are doing that, they're that dead weight. And yet God has given each person in the body a peculiar and special gift. A wonderful way to serve. And Christians need to do something to enrich the body. It's not only for the body of Christ, but it's for your own soul. This is what it means to be a family. This is what it means to be part of a family. What family has ever allowed any child just to eat and sleep and do whatever they want. No, you're going to have that child help you in the family in some way. Make your bed, take out the trash, whatever it is. The family of God is no different. This is what it means to be a family. We get involved, we get dirty, we get vulnerable. We live open-heartedly with each other and we serve each other. So you have been given a gift, whether you know it or not. You have a gift. It may not be up here preaching, or it may be. It may be some behind the scenes gift. Some of the most memorable and wonderful passages in the book of Luke describe the ladies who would follow the apostles all through the countryside for three years and care for their needs. What a beautiful picture! of service to Jesus Christ. But if you don't use your gift, if you bury that talent and you just wait for God to return, I fear for your soul. But regarding elders and deacons, these are men who have dedicated, will be dedicating their lives to your own good, to your health, to your Christian lives and maturity. And the key, of course, is a love for Jesus, a, humil- a humil- humble love for Jesus Christ, and a humble love for each other, doing nothing out of their own selfish ambitions or vain conceits, but in humility considering others to be better than themselves. Certainly, this is all of our calling as Christians, but it's also the calling of elders and deacons. So what are the qualifications? Let's return to the book of Timothy and just speak quickly about the qualifications of elders and deacons. They are very similar. Indeed, I'm going to focus on the qualifications of deacons because they are almost identical at least in substance, if not in form, except for the elder qualification to teach. So looking in 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 8. Deacons should be dignified. Elders should be dignified. What does this mean? Men who are sober minded, who are not silly, men you would call in an emergency, I remember there was a young officer at one of the bases I served, and on duty he was professional, off duty he was not. He he didn't look like the kind of man that you would call in an emergency. He looked more like some thug you would find on a street corner. And he had—he was a commander. He had many men and many women and many families under his care. I remember the wing commander telling me he had to sit this, this man down, this good officer down and say, it matters how you act when you're off duty. Because when you're off duty is usually when the emergencies happen. And if you're going to a spouse to her house to tell her that her husband is in the hospital because of an accident... You can't look like a rapper. That's not going to happen. You need to be ready at all times. In the same way, elders and deacons need to be men who are always on duty. They're dignified. They're ready to respond. They're sober-minded. Imagine you went to see a doctor. And this is a doctor who's going to perform surgery. He's going to do heart surgery or brain surgery or or something really serious. And yet when he walks in, he doesn't look like a doctor at all. He's wearing a baseball cap and he's got his tennis shoes on and he's acting like a child. He's making rude or inconsiderate jokes. He's a silly man. Do you really want a silly man operating on your head? Of course not. Similarly, elders and deacons are sober minded men. What does that mean exactly? It means that their eyes and their hearts are focused on heaven. Certainly, this applies to every Christian, that we're heavenly minded. You've heard the expression, This man is so heavenly minded that he does no earthly good. That actually is impossible the more heavenly minded are, the more good you will do for the church. Because the, heaven, the heavens display the glory of God and we see God waiting to bring us home. And as you see Jesus Christ, and as you focus your eyes on Jesus Christ, it works itself out in your lives in practical ways. Secondly, we see that the deacon... And the elder, not to be double-tongued. These are men who, who speak and act the same way at home, as they do at work, as they do in the church. They're not fork-tongued. They're not double-tongued. They don't act differently. They don't speak hypocritically. Well, when I'm around these people, I speak one way. When I'm around these people, I speak another way. These are men who are transparent in their lives. Their eyes are always fixed on Jesus. We see that they're not addicted to much wine. The same applies to elders. These are men who are always ready to act. If they drink, they drink in moderation. Certainly they're never drunk. But more than wine, it's, it's just a discipline in life. It's a life that's controlled by God. Not given to excess. Elders and deacons are men who are not greedy. Certainly it makes sense in the context of the first century church that the men who are distributing funds to those in need are not greedy themselves. You wonder if the apostles were thinking of Judas Iscariot when they put that in there. If Paul said, I remember hearing about Judas stealing from the bag. We better make sure that our elders and our deacons are not greedy men. But certainly it makes sense. Jesus himself was not greedy. He left everything. He left his glory to serve men and women like you and me. They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This refers to the gospel. Elders and deacons are men who are committed to the teachings of the gospel. And you will hear these men Vow before you all that they hold true to the doctrine and the testimony of the gospel and of scripture. They're blameless. In other words, they're men who have been tested. There's no secret closet filled with bones that's going to bring disgrace to the church or to the cause of Christ. There's nothing in their lives that would discredit their ministry. They're the husband of one wife. In other words, they're not polygamists. They're not immoral. They're committed to their wives if they're married. They manage their own children and households well. Again, deacons and elders. You see, the home is equated so heavily and so frequently by Paul to the church that Paul's saying, if a father cannot manage his home, then don't assume that he can manage spiritual leadership in a church. If you see a home that is mismanaged, filled with rebellion and self indulgence and disrespect, unrestrained, unsubmissive wife and children, not obedient, not respecting God, that man will not serve well as a deacon and not serve well as an elder. And Paul addresses the wives specifically for deacons. And because he says their wives, their wives, in verse 11, many believe, including John Calvin, including myself, that he's referring to the wives of deacons and elders. Their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Why? Why? Because as the wife of an elder or a deacon, you're just naturally going to have more information about the body of Christ because your husband is serving them. And Paul says it behooves the wife of an elder and of a deacon to be one who is wise. In 1 Timothy 5, he talks about Christian women in general. That wives should, I think he's talking about, uh, yeah, widows. First Timothy 5.13. They learn to be idlers going from house to house, gossips and busybodies saying things that they should not. This applies to all Christians, of course, but certainly to the wives of deacons and elders. You need to be one who holds your tongue making sure that everything you do and everything you say is to the benefit of the church because you are going to have information that no one else in the church has. Also, it's important that you're dignified and sober-minded as your husband is called to be dignified and sober-minded. Did you see that? That Paul said the husband, the elder, the deacon needs to be dignified and sober-minded as well as his wife. The wives in the Ephesian church, we think, had been abusing that trust, certainly. Gossiping about the people that were being ministered to in various ways. And for this reason, Paul calls on the wives of elders and deacons to be dignified. Not stirring up controversy. Keeping their tongues under control. In short, all this is important because deacons and and Elders and their wives are mirrors of the household of God. So the church should be able to look at a deacon or an elder or their wives and say, Wow, I see Jesus there. I see Jesus. These people are full of joy. They're godly. They're serious. They're full of love for Christ and His body. And as Paul said, deacons... Elders who serve well gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith. Calvin wrote The deacon who faithfully performs his duty is intent on serving God and works conscientiously, so that even the wicked will be shamed by such a man and will honor him. Finally, let's close with this particular scripture before we ordain these men. He says in verse 15 of chapter 3, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Why would Paul say that great is the mystery of godliness after exhorting elders and deacons to live holy lives? Because none of us have inside us what it takes to live holy lives some preachers might tell you you need to live more like god you don't measure up to god's standard this is true but that's only half of the message if that's all i ever said to you you should leave here saying well i know that thank you for telling me what do i do You see, godliness in your life is a mystery in so much as you don't know why one day you're improving in some measure of rejecting sin or pursuing your Savior, except that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you that's mysterious. It's His work. Yes, you're striving against your sin, but the Holy Spirit is doing something in you that is amazing. And this is why Paul says, "...great indeed is the mystery of godliness." But the good news for God's people is that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. It is God's church. And He will not leave the church to perish. He will not let His church wither on the vine. He will provide men and women who will build the church up with their service to both their spiritual and their physical needs. It's important to pay attention to your lives, to the details of your lives. They're important, certainly. But the Holy Spirit gets all of the credit for all of the work that's done. We're the family of God, and we pursue God. This is our first priority, and we pursue each other. This involves not only right doctrine, but right practice, So we're all doing all that we can for the body of Christ to the glory of God. If you look in your insert, I've listed the the roles and the responsibilities of deacons and elders. It's straight from our book of church order. Before we bring the men up to take vows, I would like you to look at this with me. It summarizes the scriptures beautifully. Elders have oversight over the flock of Christ. Christ. And in such, in such ways they're referred to as pastors and shepherds. They're spiritually fruitful and an example to the flock and govern their lives well and in such ways they're called elders. They expound the word of God and they're called teachers. They exercise government and discipline and they seek the spiritual growth of the flock. They protect the flock from enemies from false teachers, from wolves, from false teaching. The heart of a deacon is one of sympathy and service, as we see in Christ Jesus in Philippians 2. It expresses the communion of saints. In other words, we help each other in the body of Christ in time of need. The heart of a deacon is also one of submission. You're under the supervision and authority of the session. The duties of the deacon are to minister to those who are in need, the sick and the friendless, any who are in distress, to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church, to collect the gifts of the people, and then to distribute these gifts among those to which they are contributed, and to care for the property of the body of Christ of the church. So how can we do this? We can only do this with Christ at the center with Christ in the very middle of all of it, with Christ being our focus. This is His church. It is a pillar and buttress of the truth, not because you serve well, men, not because you're good Christians, ladies and men. It's a pillar and buttress of the truth because of Jesus Christ governing His church, sitting on His throne with angels surrounding Him, all for His glory. This man, Jesus, is the only way for sinful man to be right with God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But he is also the only hope we have to serve the body of Christ in any way. So serve like Jesus Christ. As deacons and as elders, you are called to be a humble servant, a leader of your family, and have a love for God and the body. Before the men come up, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You. We thank You in the name of Jesus for all of Your goodness, for giving us Your Word, for calling us to Yourself. We thank You that in the name of Jesus Christ, You have called men to serve this body as deacon, as elder, all for Your glory. Lord, we know that our only hope of serving You effectively is Jesus that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ would dwell in us richly and that would overflow from us the love we have for you and the knowledge of your love for us into everyone in this body that we might be all equipped to do your work. So protect us and help us and bless this ordination in Jesus' name. Amen.